ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs, a podcast halfway mark halftime in the NBA season. It has been an adventure some years so far, lots of ups, lots of downs, you know, in the last two games, no exception, a, uh, a, a, a loss that probably stung pretty good against golden state. And then, you know, where Garland and Jared Allen had two of their worst games of the season. And then a nail biter of a win against Sacramento um, that the Cavs hung on and won. So it was, uh, it's definitely been an adventure this year and here to talk about it. We have Elijah Kim and Chris Francis and, you know, the big news today, what did we hear? Eli? Kobe Altman, president of basketball operations for our Cleveland Cavaliers. Until? Uh, 26, 27, I believe, right? Yeah, I thought it was 27-28, but you could be right. No, no um, you are correct, Nate. That's It was 27 No, it's one more year than that. Yeah, so... Oh, it's one more I'm, year than the coaching staff. Yeah, so a, a six-year extension. Impressive. Um, and you got to think that this really puts, you know, the desk of Kobe Altman firmly at the, uh, the decision-making <laughs> head of uh, the Cavalier apparatus. Would you agree, Chris Francis? Oh, I mean, it's I would agree, but then my impulse is to say, well, Dan Gilbert is a capricious billionaire. You know what I mean? Like it's just money to him. You know, is is whatever that he's paying Kobe uh, uh, too much to remove him if he doesn't want him there? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, probably not, but. I, I think he is. I think he has a lot of trust uh, of Dan Gilbert, or else he wouldn't have gotten this very, you know, long and lucrative extension. So the one that uh, David Griffin never was able to get. So ooh, and with good I'm, reason. With good reason. <laughs> well, in you know his record since uh, has not voted well. So. Eli, what do you think of the move? Are are you happy, sad, kind of jury still out for you? I'll be honest. I don't understand why they're doing it. Um, don't get me wrong. The Cavs definitely have exceeded expectations already, eclipsing last year's record, um, and we're just halfway through the season. So this is a great year for the Cavs organization, but uh, I just don't understand – uh, giving you know Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman these six-year extensions, six and seven-year extensions, um, based on you know half the season of something going really well. So, 
But I'd be okay with an extension, but it's just the length of it kind of puzzles me a little bit, to be honest. I, I think, you know, part of it to me is the Cavs want to set themselves up as, you know, projecting that we're a very well-run organization. They want the guys in their organization to be bought in for a long time. And you can't really do that if you don't – I I kind of feel like Dan Gilbert's trying to get out of the way a little bit, trying to get out of his own way, make Kobe Altman the face of the franchise. You know, Dan Gilbert didn't have the greatest reputation with players, um, you know, reputation with players or other GMs kind of as a meddler, kind of, you know, one of these guys where, you know, you'll make a deal with uh, – Kobe Altman or David Griffin, but Dan Gilbert's got to sign off on it. It's got to make people a little reluctant to negotiate with you. Um, And, and, you know, to me, I think Kobe's earned it. Uh, He has made a few outlier level moves in terms of, you know, right now it's looking like Garland was an absolute home run draft pick. Uh, Clearly the Jarrett Allen deal just feels like, an outlier move in terms of the amount of value you got for a late first round pick. And then, you know, Evan Mobley looks like an absolute home run too. So, um, and, and in a way he fell to them, but, um, you know, it all kind of worked out the way Kobe Altman wanted him to. They tanked for three years by playing Sexlin or at least two years. And now they're kind of reaping the reward. So I can't argue with it. Um, you know, and I've been as big of a critic as anybody, but the plan has worked at least from what it appears like right now. So I, I like two points you made there, Nate, uh, especially with regarding the stability or projecting stability and like a well-run franchise, as well as uh, Gilbert stepping back. I think that's, I mean, that's to me what rings really true about the situation. Giving Kobe a six-year deal is it's really a sign, I think, of Gilbert just letting basketball people run the basketball operations, you know, and we still don't. Has he spoken publicly yet? Has he like done a public interview since his stroke? Does, does any, I don't think, I think the only public thing that I have seen from him is uh, the stuff on Joe Tate. Um, oh, wow. But- okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was probably, you know, with a year, six months to a year after um, his stroke. But by multiple accounts, I've heard um, he he had some setbacks since that time. So I I don't know the answer to that. But I also heard that uh, there's another story today where uh, he and the minority investors within the uh, Indians organization are looking to do a lot of revitalization of the area around uh, the queue and the, uh, not the queue, uh, the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse and the uh, Progressive Field. So there's not just, so it was interesting that his name was kind of directly attached to that story. Um, Wow. And and in, in a way that I haven't heard directly in a while. So, you know, maybe he's, focusing more on the business side of things and less on the basketball side of things. But, uh, you know, I found that pretty interesting as well. So it's not like he's just completely in the shadows. So, 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. See, I, you know, uh, that's what I was wondering when, when you were saying that is that, you know, I just hadn't heard from him, you know, we haven't heard from him in a long time. I, I don't think there was any word about like how, I mean, I guess the Joe Tate thing was a sign of his recovery, but, um, yeah, I was just wondering, uh, he's just been awfully quiet. And so, uh, and I understand that, you know, as a, the decent owners are usually the ones that are quiet. So, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like the stability things, the culture thing is a huge thing. And I think you're correct about that. And then projecting that stability, I think is another thing. Uh, and also I think, were they lame duck? Was JB and Kobe lame duck, uh, guys, like they didn't have, uh, contracts beyond the end of the season, right? Going into the year. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, Eli, I think Bickerstaff had one more year. Um, yeah, I think both of them probably had one more year. Yeah. But okay. even, yeah. But I in today's NBA, yeah. Yeah, one more point. year is almost lame duck. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. So I think that was the other thing driving these extensions is I think they didn't want either of those guys being lame duck guys um, and creating some instability going into next season. Yeah. Sorry. I was just looking up that article on um, Dan Gilbert. Um, a lot of this was around uh, Tower City was the story I saw today that they're trying to get some more investors in Tower City uh, kind of before the All-Star game and that kind of thing. But also, Ooh. I guess the big thing about the downtown stuff was uh, it the big announcements around that were in September. Um, but yeah, I think Dan Gilbert's really trying to good face on Cleveland before the, um, before the all-star game. So, uh, there, there's definitely been a, a push from what I'm reading about that. So, yeah. And I'm excited for the all-star game and I think, you know, it really bodes well. I would be shocked if there, if at least Allen wasn't in the all-star game, mainly because it is in Cleveland and I think it would kind of be a bad look to have the Cavs be playing as well as they are and not have a Cavalier all-star. So, Oh yeah. hundred percent. So anyway, um, and you know, moving on to the next big story, what'd you guys think of the last two games? I'm, I'm watching, uh, Golden State and Memphis tonight. Golden State's actually losing in the fourth quarter to Memphis. So, what, what did what did you think uh, from what you saw in from Cleveland against both Sacramento and Golden State? I'll start with you, Mister Francis. Um, I saw well, you know, as I said in the the quick cap um, regarding the Golden State game, it was just you know sad and obvious how much the team misses Ricky Rubio <laughs> on the court, <laughs> especially in those big games, you know, especially in those, you know, that, that was the thing that stuck out about that game is that was, uh, I mean, it's, that was the kind of game that was kind of like a low key big time game, you know, like it's hard, it's kind of weird to say that about a mid season, regular season game, but for the young Cavs, that's probably the first, you know, statement, you know, meaningful game that these guys have ever played in their entire NBA career. You know what I mean? Like they haven't been in playoff contention, uh, you know, J- Jared Allen, you know, I think may have had a stint, you know, but was he even a big, he wasn't a starter back then uh, in the playoffs. So, 
you know, this is kind of like the first foray into like real playoff contention for the Cavs. And, you know, they've kind of, as you said, you know, uh, with the comment about um, it was J.A. and D.G., the two young stars, the very young stars, I should say, 21 and 23 years old. You know, they, they, the lights were bright for them, you know, and, and they didn't have Rubio out there to really settle them down and get them into their games, you know, and that's what I really noticed about the Golden State game is just how much they miss a, a veteran presence that's on the ball like Rubio to direct the whole thing and let other, let them cook, you know, like that's, Rubio gets open shots for both of those guys, gets their offense going, you know, when the Cavs are at their best, so uh, it was just obvious they missed him. Um, and then with the Kings game, it was just a nice gritty win. It was a great bounce back. You know, you saw Jared Allen and Darius Garland, you know, gritting through and showing some grit and showing some mental toughness and showing competitive spirit and bouncing back, you know, against a Kings team that's, you know, they're apparently now vested to show off their wares, you know, to other scouts that are in the building now. <laughs> yeah, that was the rumor that the, there was a lot of scouts in the building last night for the game. Yeah. So. so it was a great bounce back win. So, I mean, uh, but the but the whole question still remains, uh, you know, they've got to find a way to get past this Rubio thing, um, whether that's by trade or whether that's by growth, whether that's by chemistry. I don't know where that's going to come from. Someone stepping up. That's already on the roster. I don't know, but um, that's the crisis they got to figure out: is how do they get on, you know, and stay at that playoff level without Ricky Rubio? Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I'm gonna come right back after this quick break uh, and kind of get Eli's take on the whole thing. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs a Podcast, uh, Eli. What do you think of the last two games, Golden State and Sacramento? You know, um, a win is a win, and if you were to tell me they would split these two games, I don't think it would be disappointing, especially with all the hype with the Clay day um, and his return. So I think the results were fine and somewhat expected, but it was a little disappointing to see uh, Darius Garland and Jared Allen just really struggle to play with any composure in, uh, in Golden State, so... That being said, I thought their defense was actually pretty good, even though they were giving up like rebounds to Kevon Looney and everyone was getting offensive rebounds on the Cavs, even though the Cavs had three of the tallest players on the court at, for essentially the whole game because um, Draymond Green didn't barely played except for the tip, you know. So it was just the, yeah, which was one of the goofier things I've seen in a while. Yeah. It, it was like it was like they were rolling away the stone on clay. I mean, I was to me, it was like they're making a little too big of a deal about it. But that's also what Golden State does. They are they love the hype, you know. Yeah, and you know, to be fair, of the all the Warriors players, I think I respect Clay's the most. You know, he's definitely plays a game that's really re- super respectable his shooting and he moves without the ball well, which is a skill that I think is diminishing in today's game. And, you know, he played, he has played good defense, obviously with these two major injuries back to back, he might not be the defensive player he was pre-injury, but you know, I'm, I'm glad that he looked up decent. Um, albeit against our, our beloved Cavaliers, um, against the Kings. I was I'm not going to lie. I was pretty nervous at the end of the game. 
the Cavs are like one of the worst. They are, I think, they are the worst fourth quarter team in terms of net rating, um, which is and, crazy. And I think that their third quarter is definitely bottom five. I think so. Essentially, their first two quarters, they're, I think, they're either one or two, um, which is insane because they're literally like the worst team in the fourth quarter. So the fact that they have a still have a positive net rating indicates that over the first. Uh, at least the first half, they're pretty dominant as well. So, I yeah, I'd like to see that stat without blowouts, though, too. Yeah, you know it, what I mean. Skewed, it, so it is hard. skewed. Yeah. yeah, but that third quarter stat's hundred percent legit. It's the fourth quarter that feels a little because they've been on the winning side of several big blowouts, and it's you know when you're playing in garbage time, I don't know how much that counts, but yeah, but. I do wonder, this is a trend. I think this is honestly one of the downfalls or one of the cons, I guess, of JB Biggerstaff. I feel like he gets the guys motivated. They always play pretty hard and schematically. Maybe it's a rotation thing, a conditioning thing, but it just feels like the Cavs are like hanging on to every close in every close game. And uh, maybe I, I think it could be the rotation. Um, you know, he only plays like seven guys for the first half, it feels like. And on top of that, with everyone coming back from COVID, you know, now everyone doesn't have their legs back. So I'm also a little worried about Laurie Markkinen. He's in a, he's in probably the worst stretch of his career shooting the ball. I think it's ironic that he scored the last uh, bucket of the game for the Cavs with like three minutes left almost, which was a three-pointer. Um, but I just wonder if him playing on the perimeter just makes him too tired and he's running around and not used to that kind of in-game workload, and that's why he's not hitting any of his threes. Um, so uh, overall, you know, like I said, splitting Golden State and Sacramento is pretty expected, so you can't get too disappointed. But, um, you know, I, I do hope that the Cavs can kind of use this one day of rest before they play like – I think they play five games in seven days uh, on this road trip. So they play, um, you know, they're going to play back to back here. Three games in two nights, or sorry, two game, three games in four nights upcoming here. So it's going to be a interesting stretch here. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I like what you were saying about JB. That's kind of one of the things that. I struggle with, I thought early in the season, he did a really good job of, you know, managing the game. Um, I can't remember what game it was. I thought, wow, that was the first game I saw all season where I thought JB lost the game with his coaching. Was that the game on the 31st, the Atlanta game where Goodwin, whichever game it was where Goodwin threw away the ball on the inbounds when they had a chance to tie. Yeah, that was Atlanta. Yeah, and that one was the one I was really like, woof. That was one of JB's worst coach games. Um, I'm a big believer that, you know, coaches with proper timeout plays, you know, how teams do at the end of the quarters, um, just little adjustments. Good coaches can buy their team and the way you use challenges. Good coaches can buy their team, you know, two, three points a game in there. Um and JB just is just not sometimes just doesn't manage games well. 
um, from a rotation standpoint. And that was the game where he made a really terrible challenge on a Dylan Windler out of bounds play. And then, um, no, I guess it was Memphis. It was the Memphis game where that happened yeah, because was. that was the one where John Morant had that hook foul on Darius Garland. And if they'd had a challenge, they could have flipped it um, because it looked like the definition of the new offensive foul rule, like you can't grab the defender's arm and try and bait the ref into a call. And that was the one where if they'd had that challenge, I felt like, boy, they would have had a chance to tie. So, so I don't know. Um, have been the, you know, a little bit worried about the last two games. Um, the one thing I've loved is Lamar Stevens has really, really, really played well uh, in the last two games. He was literally the best player on the floor for the Cavs against Golden State. You know, brought the energy, had, um, you know, just a really nice impact. Um, and then played really well against uh, Golden or Sacramento the next night. Um, I was a little, you know, I think the term I used was uh, Allen and Garland were blinded by the limelight <laughs> in uh, Golden State. And that's okay. I think you got to get a game like that out of your system. Um, I've been okay on Rondo so far, and I'm, I'm going to kind of ask you guys the same question. He, he's a capable fill-in for, you know, 12 minutes a night. Um, but I don't think you can really expect him to play much more than that. Um, but he did have a big stop at the end of the game last night against Darren Fox to preserve a one-point victory. Um, and to me, I thought Fox made a terrible decision. When he got Rondo on him one-on-one, he should have backed up and gone, you know, done the old Oladipo play where you're going to start at the 30 feet away and just try and run right by him. Um I thought kind of herky-jerking into a layup line shot was kind of a dumb play by him. But uh, Rondo scouted it out and defended it okay, and the Cavs dodged a bullet. So, you know, I think the Cavs got to get healthy. Their lack of guards is is hurting them right now. And like you said, the Rubio injury is just – it's a hard one to come back from. Uh, Unlike you, Eli, I'm not that worried about Laurie Markkinen. I actually think Laurie Markkinen – is doing a lot of things well. Um, He's just not shooting well, but he's doing everything else well. Um, And his shooting the last two games, uh, or at least last game, wasn't horrific. Um, You know, to me, it reminds me a lot of Chetty Osman the year before, where Chetty was just mired in a brutal shooting slump. And this slump by uh, Markkinen is not as bad, and he's doing everything else well. Um, at least defensively, and he's doing what they're asking him to do. So I'm not going to worry about it too much. Uh, I think he helps the Cavs a lot more than he's hurting them, and when his shooting comes around, it's going to be even better. Although I will say I can't watch him jerk his head back when he shoots it anymore. It's driving me nuts. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you you caught on the live thread. I basically started calling him Beavis because he uh, (laughs) headbanged so much. (laughs) And they have the same hairdo. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, what have you guys thought, uh, Eli, what have you thought of Rondo so far? I actually think he's been a lot, he's been better than what I thought. Um, because I really didn't expect much. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe my expectation was really low, but I think he's been 
a lot better than I expected. He seems to be a really good leader so far. I mean, granted, it's been three games. Oh, maybe uh, maybe my bar was set way too low, but um, I thought he had a really good spurt in the Golden State game, bringing the Cavs back in that game. And one thing, one other thing about JB that I really don't like is he really likes to play the small guard lineup a lot still. And it drives me crazy that is Rondo and Garland out there uh, together. I don't think they should spend more than like five minutes together at the, at the most because it just really makes their defense even more challenging uh, for the Cavs. And it just, I feel like it just mucks it up on the perimeter for them. So I think overall I'm pretty happy. I mean, considering it, the trade-offs for Valentine, how can you complain? But I think more than ever, the Cavs do need to make a trade um, for a guy who can play make better and also maybe shoot a little bit better. So um, that'll probably be, you know, I'm a little early on the segue for a big <laughs> section coming up. But, <laughs> but I do, I, I'm curious what Chris thinks because I'm actually pleasantly surprised by Rondo and don't think he's, you know, he's probably like, 60 to 70 percent of what Rubio was doing. Um, but he, <laughs> which is, but he's still a hundred percent better than Kevin Pangos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think he's like, I think he's at least, you know, he's definitely way better than Goodwin, too. Um, because Rondo might not, he'll only shoot open threes and the occasional, you know, jump shot when he's wide, wide open. But I was just a little, I was actually getting a little frustrated with Goodwin because I thought he was kind of feeling himself. Um, towards like right before the trade. So like shooting too much or shooting not enough or. Yeah. I just thought he was taking some really interesting drives and kind of had his head down. Um, it wasn't really the playmaker that the Cavs needed considering they have, you know, two rim runners. They got the bigs that can do high low to each other. So I just felt like he was doing his own thing. And um, that's not really what the Cavs need. The Cavs need a guy to set up. Mobley or set up Allen in the high post or get the alley-oop game going. So I think uh, he's been better than I expected. So I'm pretty satisfied with the deal so far for sure. Um, What, what about you, Chris? I'm a hundred percent in agreement with Eli here. Uh, I don't know if my expectations were low either. I mean, I think they were just because, I mean, my perspective is that the Rubio injury just kind of, I mean, it, it feels like it took the wind out of the sails of like contention, you know, like that's how it feels. And so, uh, you know, in regrouping with Rondo, I've been pleasantly surprised too with Rondo. I think he's been fantastic, uh, far better than my expectations. And I think he's bringing an added element that even possibly Rubio doesn't bring, or, or just a different version of it, you know, in terms of Rondo really knows the league, you know, he knows how the, I feel like he's been in a whole bunch of big games. He's won two rings, you know, he's played with a lot of guys. He's played with a lot of stars, you know, he's seen a lot of things, um, had a lot of experiences with the coach. I just feel like his NBA knowledge is something that is an added bonus that's really going to take Garland and Mobley and Allen to another level, you know, especially with the mental side of the game. That, uh, that's so. a really good point. 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've just been, I've been giddy, honestly, about Rondo's uh, arrival so far and what I've seen, the little snippets, you know. And I said before, like, I could see how it goes sideways because Rondo is a, uh, he's his own man. You're not going to tell him what, you know. He's gonna, yeah. you know, I mean, he's stubborn that way. That's why, you know, that's kind yeah, of yeah, and what made and it, you know. and it and the bridges haven't always. He hasn't always built the bridges everywhere he's been. Exactly, know? exactly. So, so um, it, it's, yeah, it's super interesting that you said. Like, I don't think any of us think that. Like, do any of us have a doubt that Rondo is going to be a head coach in the NBA someday, or like a front office guy? I like. I would just be shocked if. Neither right. of those things right. happen. No, that's always been the talk about him for sure, hundred percent. Like everybody, well, we all know he's a master of Connect Four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he uh, I mean, looks like you know Franklin the Turtle, man. Slowly. Oh my god! We gotta, <laughs> wow, we, we gotta god. have we gotta have David Wood on because last time I went to the Cavs game with David Wood, he told us. Uh, the story of going to the National Connect Four ch- or the International Connect Four tournament. Um, and so, There's such yeah, a thing. There's there such is a such thing. a thing. So we got. I'm gonna. We gotta have David Wood on another podcast to uh, to uh, get that story out of him. It was pretty awesome. But yeah, I mean, I've I've liked what I've seen from Rondo so far. I will say, he gets routinely cooked on defense. And I've never seen a guy, you know, that, and I don't even understand it, uh, that turns his back to the ball defensively more than Rondo has in the last two games. It just – and has gotten roasted by it. But um, I feel like he's trying to, you know, call out coverages and point to different guys. And then the guy he's supposed to be guarding is just, you know, cutting to the basket or, you know, breaking his – ankles or whatever. I've, I've seen him get blown by quite a bit too. Um, and, and to me, part of the problem is, is he's trying to coach and play defense at the same time. And his, he doesn't have any recovery ability anymore. So he has got to always be in the right position and be anticipating because he's not Evan Mobley who can just get totally beat and then get back into play. Rondo's never getting back in the plays again. So he's got to be more, anticipating things. And you saw it at the end of the, the last game against Sacramento. He did a really good job of, you know, anticipating uh, Darren Fox's move and putting up a pretty good contest. But, you know, I, I worry about that. Um, He loves that right wing uh, set shot three ball. He took one from about 28 feet at the end of the third last night, um, which was fun to see, but I like a guy that knows where he shoots the ball. Well, and kind of just gravitates to those spots. Um, he can't, like a couple people have noted, can't really beat guys off the dribble anymore. He's doing it more with guile than with speed. And um, he's not a guy you can ISO. But I, I think he helps. I think Eli's absolutely right. They still need somebody to, you know, come in and, and be that guy that is more of a dedicated playmaker. But if Rondo can keep giving you 10, 12 minutes a night, I think that's, you know, super, super helpful. So, and with that, uh, we're going to take another break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast. I'm Nate Smith and I'm here with my awesome dudes, Chris Francis and Elijah Kim. Um, 
And, uh, yeah, halfway through the season, can you guys believe we're halfway there already? <laughs> I, it, Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's been four mini-seasons already. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and we're going to kind of talk about the things we liked most about the first half of the season, and we're just going to skip the thing we like least because it's all no, we all know it's the Ricky Rubio injury. Um, and then we'll get into kind of what the biggest improvements the Cavs uh, need to make in the offseason is. Or not the offseason, second half of the season. And, you know, I'm just going to jump in and go first this time. Um, you know, and I'm probably stealing you guys' thunder a little bit. But the thing that I have loved the most um, is how much these guys are playing for each other. Just it's not a team where you got a bunch of guys where I got to get my stats every single night. Um, you know, Darius Garland doesn't care if he gets 12 points as long as they win. Uh, he's not a guy that's got to go in and, you know, get his garbage time points just to hit his scoring nut. Um, I, I love that. I love how unselfish they are. You know, Lori Markinen playing out of position, you know, maybe struggling a little bit um, with the shooting, but that's that's what I've absolutely loved. I mean, I think if you put Evan Mobley on a team like the Rockets, that guy's probably averaging eighteen and twelve. You know, you know he's a near, he's already a double double guy, averaging almost twenty points. But that's not who the Cavs need him to be. So that's not who he is. He's a guy, you know. Scoring in the low teens and then, you know, grabbing eight or nine rebounds, throwing in some blocks some assists, some steals, uh, just kind of a really super high level glue guy and a guy who can play elite defense. And, oh, yeah, when we need to get some offense from an unexpected source, he's a guy. Um, That's what I love is the way they're playing for each other. And the biggest thing they need to improve on second half of the season is really, you know, just running a consistent offense, I think, is is part of the thing. And so many guys in and out of the lineup is has been the problem. And there's ways to address that that we'll probably get to later. But the defense is there. They just need to keep running a consistent offense and an offense that's not going to fall apart in the fourth quarter. So, uh, and with that, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you, Eli. Uh, what do you got? What's your what's your favorite thing about the first half of the season? Yeah, I think my favorite thing of the first half of the season is uh, the return of the big man. Um, even though I'm nowhere near seven foot because I'm six three, and in any pickup game I'm considered a big. So it's great to see. Nice. <laughs> it's great to see. You know, the Cavs run this super unorthodox style and succeed with it, and. You know, I, I joke around because I try to tell people I play like a mix between Nikolai Jokic and uh, Kevin Love, and a lot of people are like, "Yeah, you play like you play like Cleveland Cavalier, Kevin Love." And now this year, I take that as an extreme compliment. So there you go. that's right, so, damn right, uh, as you should. So I am super excited for the return of the big man in Cleveland, and. Uh, yeah, I'm just I'm actually really curious to see how this is tra- going to translate beyond this season cuz I think 
Um, the Cavs are going to try to roll with this mojo as long as, you know, Laurie Markin is on the team. And obviously Mobley will always start for the Cavs and Allen will always start for the Cavs. So I think the thing I've enjoyed most is just how all the different big men in Cleveland are thriving. And, you know, this is even including Dean Wade, who I think is super sneaky, athletic, and can really defend. Um, it perfectly kind of fits the Laurie Markkinen, uh, you know, that role as a bench player. But I'm, I think the Cavs just have all these big guys that are just super skilled and thriving, man. So that's what I've definitely enjoyed the most this season so far. Tower City, baby. Love it. That's what's up. That's what's up. What do, what do you want to see improve, Eli? Yeah, I think I want to see some uh, playmaking. I, I think as I get wiser on the basketball IQ front, I just realize it's it's really hard to pass. Um, I see it a lot in all the pickup that I play these days. Um, it's hard to have, find guys who see cuts, see open guys in the corner, and not only just see it, but be able to execute kind of the passes out there. So I want to see, I, I think there's some development that you could do. I think um, guys like Isaac Okoro, Lamar Stevens, those guys can, uh, you know, improve their vision when they're playing a lot of minutes. But also, you know, just con- the continual improvement of Mobley and Allen also becoming better passers. Um I, I listened to a pod today with uh, Sam Vecini, who um, was not a big Jared Allen fan, but one of the things he said was that he, even though he's quote unquote was a hater, um, he he even he saw a vast improvement in Allen's uh, offensive game, including his passing. So, just continuing to see more playmaking from this team, especially because they're so unorthodox. It's definitely not their comfort zone for these bigs to pass, you know, especially when they're playing the three like Laurie is a lot. So um, that's something that I just want to see overall as an improvement from, you know, from guys like Darius Garland all the way up to Jared Allen. So very nice. I, I like it. What about you, Chris Francis? Um, I, I keep using your last name because I'm used to having I know. <laughs> Chris Lydon on there. <laughs> hey, it, it, it might should continue, actually. I mean, because Chris will probably be Chris Lydon will probably be back, I would assume. <laughs> oh, so. I would hope so, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, well, uh, I, I'm going to have to, I'm torn. Also, I'll give you two answers, even though it says the most. Um, I mean, first is how good Mobley is. I mean, he's blown away my expectations. He's so freaking good. So, uh, they finally have that franchise piece, you know, like a unquestionable franchise guy that, you know, he's a foundational piece that you're going to try and build around. And, uh, secondly is I would say it's Darius Garland's improvement as a leader, a floor general, uh, a point guard on the floor. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of his day one because of his passing, uh, as, you know, Eli alluded to, you know, uh, being an unselfish guy is something I really enjoy, you know, from the game of basketball. And I feel like um, we're really seeing that from Darius Garland, just achieving a high level of consistent playmaking on the offensive end. That's uh, a really a joy to watch. It's it's fun basketball. So I'd say those are the two things I'd love the most about the first half of the Cavs. Um, what needs to improve? Um, I'll go specifically to Mobley's offense. 
I think he needs to touch the ball more. I think he needs to figure out ways to score. I think he needs to figure out ways to operate, you know, how to attack the rim uh, off the dribble in the post, you know, where in the mid range. Um, he's got to figure out how to score on a consistent basis and also pass out of that. Um, I think one of the things that uh, as he's uh, as he's taken on more responsibility due to injury and also experience on uh, JB seems to be giving him a longer leash. Um, but one of the things I'm noticing about Mobley is he's a little slow to process things in the post. He's not attacking quick enough. Sometimes he's not seeing the double team quick enough sometimes. And, you know, those things just get better with practice and reps and um, opportunities. So that's the main thing that I want to see improve in the second half of the season is just kind of let let Mobley's offense blossom. He, we know he can do it. I mean, the tape is full of stuff about him being able to pass the ball, finish around the rim, you know, and have touch around the basket. So let's just kind of like grow his game for the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really a good observation, especially because it literally almost cost the Cavs a game last night when... Oh, right. Um, yeah, it turned all, Mo- all over. <laughs> yeah, Mobley got the ball on the short roll, got into the high post uh, from the short roll, and then, you know, what he probably should have done was just, you know, pull up and shoot a floater or a, uh, a free throw. Uh, but what he tried to do was put the ball on the floor and just got stripped and you know, didn't really realize the defense was converging on him and be a little stronger with the ball is definitely going to help him. Um, oh yeah. The, yep. the other thing that I worry about him is a guy like that playing this many games in this short of time. This is where a lot of guys in the NBA, when they're playing this much, they have a hard time keeping weight on. And I'm worried about, all the Cavs, I hope they're getting enough protein with as much as they're playing and traveling. <laughs> um, just to just to keep that muscle mass on uh, concerns me a little bit. And I wanted to Danny ask G. you guys. Sorry, I was go gonna ahead. say I was gonna say Danny G. Spring for the cook, the team cook, two team cooks. All right, oh, Danny G. I'm if you're listening, sure they have multiple uh, nutritionists, <laughs> etc. But I want to ask you if you saw the hoops hype article from I, I think it was yesterday. Um, where basically they said that they pulled a bunch of GMs and said, you know, uh, in the redraft of the last few years, Evan Mobley, you know, they would have taken him ahead of Cade Cunningham and Zion Williams, um, which is, which is pretty impressive. Like they had him right at the top of the best, uh, rookies of the last few years in terms of, uh, they had him ranked as the sixth best player in the league under 25 and, you know, probably the best player in the last uh, three drafts or at least two drafts, uh, which is pretty impressive. Um, and just thank God for Tillman Fertitta and the idiots running the Rockets that <laughs> they drafted <laughs> Jalen Green, who right now it kind of looks like just a guy. I think the other guy they had, they even had him ahead of uh, Edwards from uh, um, Minnesota, who's uh, just oh, right. A- yep. Anthony Edwards, who honestly, I think right now, Anthony Edwards is a better player. He's just playing out of his mind. Um, I read that uh, the Minnesota starting lineup has a plus 50 net rating, which is just insane. Um 
but they haven't been able to play enough, you know, and they haven't been healthy a ton, but it's still a pretty significant number of minutes. Um, you know, it, it's just super fun about Evan Mobley. So I'm, I'm super excited to see that. Um, you know, any thoughts on any of that, Eli? Uh, you know what Chris said or what I said? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have a very big man crush on uh, on Evan Mobley. So he's seeing all these articles just really excite me. Um, maybe I'm just – maybe we're biased because we really – you know, he's on our team and we just love him so much. But I think getting validated from big-time media guys, guys whose opinions I respect, um, just makes it even more attractive. Um to you know see read and discuss so uh, if there is a critique of Mobley's game I just wish he did more like I just wish he got the ball more and I just wish he had a little bit more confidence and freedom to do what he wanted to do I don't think he's ever missed one of those like Kobe-esque fadeaways from the baseline and I just wish he could take like 10 of those a game honestly at this point it's just one of the most pure jump shots uh, from a big man I've ever seen. So I just wish he would do a little bit more. Um, and I really think he can be a five-plus assist guy um, in the very near future. And I think that's one way to kind of help, in the long run, help the Cavs with their playmaking uh, deficiency. Can't agree with you more, Eli. That's exactly where I was going with the improvement angle regarding Mobley is is I want to see point center Mobley. It's time. We we need to bust out point center Mobley. JB, if you're listening, come on. Let the beast loose. Yeah, I mean, he's not a guy you probably want bringing the ball up yet. But once you get into the half court, he should absolutely, you know, they should be running half court offense through him, especially when, you know, Darius Garland is, you know, not on the floor as a primary ball handler. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I just think it, it makes so much more sense. And the interchangeability, uh, high post and low post between him and Jared Allen is another way that works really well. You know, you can do that through Jared Allen. Now, one of the things that I loved in the Kings game was the way Jared Allen was taking uh, Alex Len off the dribble. Like you put a big fat slow guy on him, you know, let Jared Allen turn and face up and go to town. You know, Absolutely. and he just took him to the rack. I, I, Alex Lynn, you know, I was going back and forth with Whitney on Twitter of like, this is, I can't believe this guy's still in the league. <laughs> like he just, he was two for 15 that game and just, was he really, yeah, he just got absolutely obliterated that game. Like I made the tweet that his grandkids were going to have nightmares. About that <laughs> <game>. <laughs> like he just, you know, against these big, slow centers, they're just having an advantage every single night. That's one thing I'd love to see Mobley do more often is rather than bat, try and back guys down, I want to see him, especially on these slow guys, take a step back, face up, and either go right around him or just raise up and go over him. You know, if Kevin Love can do it, he can do it. Like, learn that Kevin Love jab step and just roast guys. <laughs> That's what I want to see, so. Uh, and with that, we'll be right back. You remind me. 
It's choo-choo time, baby. It's choo-choo time. <laughs> the train is pulling back in the station, Chris Francis and Elijah Kim, and the Ben Simmons trade train <laughs> that we thought had left town, it's backing back into the station because there was a a, uh, a broken railroad track, and it's coming back, and we got to see if Elijah <laughs> Kim is back on the train. So... Um, <laughs> okay, so it's it's trade talk time, and uh, to kick it off, uh, Chris Francis is gonna read from the mouthpiece of the Cavs, uh, our right. our Cleveland.com's own Chris Fedor, who seems to be the only guy that the Cleveland front office talks to when they want to talk to somebody. <laughs> and uh, he's going to kind of go over what the Cavs' potential trade targets are right now for that playmaker that Elijah Kim is so pining for. And does his name rhyme with Fen Bimmons? <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. So on January, oh, is that today? Yeah. So it, this was a tweet sent. Oh, okay. Last late night, night, actually. Yeah, yeah late last yeah, late night last after the game. So some midnight. Uh, uh, hopefully, it wasn't drunk texting or drunk tweeting. Well, he was on the West Coast though. So yeah, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Well, right, right, right. He, I don't know if he traveled with the team or not, but yeah, he could be baby. Uh, he could be taking care of the baby. So uh, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was up late covering the game. Yes, yes. So we got a tweet at one oh nine a.m. Uh, Eastern Eastern time from Chris Fedor, and it says, "Quote: Karis Levert." Or the let me let me read the question first. Sorry, the question was any names to keep in mind. What are some realistic options for trades uh, for the Cavs? Chris Fedor answers, Karis Levert is the obvious one. I've discussed their interest in him for about a month now. Other names to watch. Dennis Schroeder. There are concerns, but he fits for a few reasons. Joe Ingles. Goran Dragic. Kyle Anderson. Quote, not sure they'd move him. And of course, Ben Simmons. Period. Woo woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, Eli. Who, who? Which of those names intrigue you? And which of those right. names are not on the Elijah Kim trade train? I think right now, not on the train is Goran Dragic and Kyle Anderson. And I'll be honest, I don't really like Dennis Schroeder, but. I could see, like like Chris Fedor tweeted, like there are legitimate reasons why it could work. Uh, one of them is that his deal is expiring and it's only like $6 million. So, you know, the Cavs have um, the ability to throw a bunch of spare parts to get him if that's all it costs. Um, but I'm, I might be hopping on the train, but I'm not in a position to be the conductor of it anymore. Whoa, so boo, I would be willing coward, to, boo. <laughs> I would be willing to consider a Ben Simmons trade because I just think the Cavs are lacking in playmaking so badly, and it's still an opportunity to get a player at a discount relative to his value. And I think every advanced stat that we have of Ben Simmons indicates that he's a net positive to the teams he plays for. 
So I still think that it's something you should be, the Cavs should be listening in and tuning into as a potential option. So, um, so that's not as convincing as I used to be about it, but <laughs> I would say I am, I would cautiously be on that platform waiting for that train and trying to hop on. <laughs> Run away. Wait, wait. Did, wait back. Did, did Eli say he was going to be a stowaway? Track. <laughs> did, did Eli say he was going to be a stowaway on the Ben Simmons train? Is that what I heard? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so, Eli, um, what does a Ben Simmons trade look like? Like, who do they move? Because is it the like the Rondo, not Rondo, the Rubio contract by itself isn't enough. Correct. I think the 76ers would have to take back Lori Markinen um, and Rubio's contract. And on top of that, I would be willing to throw probably two first round picks in there. Um, if that's the, if that's it. Um, but if the, 76ers are adamant about having Tobias Harris also be an outgoing piece. I just don't think that's something a, a two-team deal can facilitate, so I don't even want what, to try to speculate. What if Kevin Love goes with that? Yeah, I, I've thought about that, but I think Tobias Harris's deal goes another year longer and is larger. And I'm just not, I'm not a big Tobias Harris fan. I don't know what his fit would be on the Cavs, um, especially because just the playing time would be tough because Tobias Harris is basically starter level. You're paying him like to be a well, yeah. But if the Warriors gone, you're basically slotting him right into the three, you know. But then where do you play Ben Simmons? Is he a two? Exactly. So I think the only way Ben Simmons works in Cleveland is if he's he's playing the three spot. Um, three slash four spot, and the spacing is going to be bad. And I think there would need need to be another move to where the the shooting guard is a plus shooter um, for it to really work well. But um, you know, if any deal, well, that would Tobias, Tobias Harris, Harris is a good shooter. I mean, you put Tobias at the three, you put him at the two. That's you know not the worst defensive lineup. That's true. I mean, it's just a very it's an odd fit. It's an odd fit, and I think just trading for um, just Simmons would be ideal. Although, to be fair, if a deal were to happen where the Cavs could be the third team and get Tobias Harris for Rubio's contract and maybe Markinen or some other spare parts, that might be a deal I could potentially be interested in. I think Tobias Harris is slightly better than Laurie Markkinen right now? I think that's the key, though. Right now, I think Laurie Markkinen still has growth upside and is a much better defensive player at the wing than Tobias Harris is. You know, I, I, could, I believe that. So it'd be, it's just tough. I think, obviously, the prize is Ben Simmons and the Rubio-Markkinen combination would be my, my choice for the deal. Um, what about you, and, Chris? What's your... Are you on the train? Like Eli is is not the conductor, but he might be. You know, one of the one of the, the maybe the guy taking your tickets. Like, are you on that train? 
no. I I mean, I'm at the station while, while looking at it, looking at the train. I know I'm not going to go, but I'm already having regret about not going. Does that make any sense? <laughs> well, none of this does, so yes. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, okay, for a firm answer, quick answer, hell no. No, Ben Simmons is not a dog. See, what I've – there's two things to the Ben Simmons thing is – D-A-W-G. He, yeah, exactly. Is he a dog? I need to know if he's a dog or not. And clearly, I think you cannot have – he's he's a cat, you know. He's a, he's a <laughs> nice, expensive, you know, um, high-priced, you know, exotic pet cat. You know, whatever those are called. He's not a dog. You know, he's not a dog. He's not a dog pilled. He's not going to fit in the dog pound in Cleveland. So there's that aspect. And then the second aspect is how does he fit with, does he really fit with Mobley? Because that's what really matters. You know, you're going to have the guy for four or five years. Does he fit with Mobley? In my opinion, because he cannot shoot, I really don't think he fits. You know, I think you need to make sure that you have shooters around Evan Mobley, you know, and especially if you're keeping Jared Allen, you know, if, if we're saying Jared Allen's untouchable, then especially with Jared Allen still in the fold, you have to have shooters around Evan Mobley. And obviously Ben's not that. So for those two reasons, I'm a, you know, I'm not on the train. I'm sorry. I can't do it. And also I would say as a, a little, uh, you know, um, uh, as an aside or whatever to Eli's uh, notion about what it would cost. I think that Philly would never consider it. I don't think they would do that deal. Uh, just from what I can gather, talking to a abnormally large uh, fan base online uh, of the 76ers. Yeah. I don't know. I think the if there was ever a guy that whose own team has overvalued him more, including that team's GM, it's Ben Simmons. Like <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just like at this point, the guy hasn't even played a game for you. Is at what point does he become a negative contract? Like I just the I think he already I, I is love, if you're the Cavs, right? I mean yeah, like, I what, love the grift from Daryl Morey of, oh, this guy's the greatest. <laughs> like, I mean he's been playing the long game here. And it's so ridiculous, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel oh, like there, we've... There, there's Philly people who think... There's rumors now starting about Daryl Morey that he's washed. He's, <laughs> he's totally washed. Like, he's he's lost the magic. And I'm I'm siding with them. I'm siding with those Sixers fans who think Morey's washed. I think he's totally washed. I think he's screwed up big. And who knows? Like, I don't know what the heck is going to happen next. Well, that is certainly a team that's not afraid to make a move and, you know, demote their last GM into a new. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, they had Elton Brand. They didn't fire him. They just demoted him and put Morian over him. So, you know, I, I got no idea what's going to happen there, but I, I like the take there. Um and we're going to go to break, and when we come back in the second hour, we're going to talk about some of the other names on that list because 
uh, you know, we, we could we could make choo-choo noises all day, but uh, <laughs> at some point we should have a serious conversation about realistic trade targets. So we will be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Cavs the Podcast. Um, you know, when we were gone, uh, Chris Francis was giving Eli his props for for not being afraid to get on the train. And why was that? Because he's a Cali oh, guy. Yeah, I, I, that's what I've just now discovered about Eli is that he's actually a Cali guy cosplaying as an Ohio guy. But he's don't, <laughs> so don't let him fool you. He's a he's a Cali guy all the way through and through. What was the line, Eli? Who do you got to see? I just got to see Kendall Jenner once in Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> and then your life is complete. Like, we got to get a third K. We got Kendall. Mm-hmm. We've seen Chloe. Yeah, we had Kendall, we, then we got to get Kim, maybe. There we go. Kim, She's single. She's been. single. Kim has actually been with Kanye, so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just, we're just waiting for the Jenner sisters to come through. There we go. There we go. Um, <laughs> um, so, real, you know, other names on there. Uh, Karis LeVert. Uh, I know you're a big fan of that move for the Cavs. Um, walk me through it, Eli. Yeah, I mean, I guess the reason I like the deal, um, a potential deal for Karis LeVert, is that Rubio is not going to play for the Cavs this year. So I think turning his contract in one of the three picks that the Cavs have this year into seeing what Karis LeVert is, is not a – I think that's a good value. And, you know, I – you guys, you guys are ribbing me because I'm I'm very into value, especially with players. Um, and I think that it'd be a decent value to see what Karis LeVert can be. Um, I was disappointed to see that his advanced metrics are not very good, actually, especially his net rating on defense is atrocious. I think his career is above a 110. Um, so, or his defensive rating is over a 110. Uh, so... He is a positive player in expected plus minus at plus 0.01 or 0.1. Yeah. But the the good thing is, though, um, let's be honest, all the Cavs last year were negatives on defense. Garland was, Sexton was, Jared Allen was. And this year, because of the addition of Mobley and the scheme with the three bigs, everyone's a positive. And obviously, that's very a team to – Team dependent um, statistic, right? So I'm just intrigued by maximizing the value of Rubio's contract and think that he fits in there very nicely. So I'm, when you I'd, say three, one of three picks, you're talking about the Cavs' first rounder and their two second rounders. Correct, and they have the Spurs and the the uh, Rockets' second round picks, which are pretty high. They should be. The Rockets pick will definitely be in the 30s. The yeah, it, it pick may probably end up being 31. <laughs> you yeah, know, to be yeah, honest, right? Yeah, right. But, um, you know the the Spurs pick may be like a low 40s, high 30s pick. And my idea for this trade was it'd be a Cavs lottery protected first and Rubio's contract for Karis Levert, and if the Cavs for whatever reason fall. Fall out, losing the play-in or something. Instead of giving the Pacers the pick, they would give them both the second-round picks. 
um, as their payment for taking the Rubio contract. That was my uh, idea. Other ideas were also making the trade bigger, um, maybe also getting Justin Holiday, who I think could be could help the Cavs on the shooting department. He's a lights-out shooter. But um, that would probably include Windler, and I probably wouldn't include a pick um, if that's the case. So just a couple ideas. I know I, I think you're nuts if you think you're getting Karis LeVert without giving up a first-rounder. I, and I don't think Jared, Dylan Windler has any value at all uh, outside I mean, of Cleveland. That's very possible. Um, but I think I'd be willing to give up the Cavs' first-round pick as long as it's like top four protected for the insanity of if they lose in the play-in or don't make the playoffs and it with the lottery odds being crazy. Um, but I think that's I think that's a fair deal. I mean, it's not what I want to do, but... I think it'd be a fair deal for a player like Karis LeVert. Uh, what's, your, what's your thought on that, Chris? And well, and let me take you through before we do that. Let me take you through um, Karis LeVert's career stats here. Sorry, hold on. This is the everybody's favorite part of Cavs. The podcast is when we just talk. Why we look up stats? Um, <laughs> so career wise. You know, 43% from the field or 44%, um, 33% from three. Um, true shooting is right at, you know, 52% career. Not great. Um, you know, uh, oh, assists uh, around what? He's around five a game this year. Or maybe not that high. Four a game this year. Four. Yeah. Yeah. Five last year. Um you know, a steal, a block, 18 points, you know, high volume shooter, uh, only shooting 31% from three this year, uh, from the free throw line, about 80%, but here, you know, last several years, he's hovered right around 80%. And I think that's what you can expect. Um, he's 27 years old. You know, I think my, my, I'll be honest with you. I don't think he moves the needle that much for the Cavs. I think, the problem is, is the Cavs haven't been able to stay healthy at the two guard spot between Osman and uh, Okoro. I think if Okoro was healthy, you'd say, yeah, don't bother with, excuse me, you know, Karis LeVert, but you know, maybe the, maybe Indiana's in selling mode. And if you could get him for a first rounder and maybe you do that, I don't love it. I think there's going to be better guys out there and, Maybe uh, talk us through who some of the other guys on that tweet were. Uh, you know, one of the guys I like that you like, Eli, is uh, Harrison Barnes. You know, is Harrison Barnes a guy that you think would fit this team, Eli? Oh, yeah. I mean, Harrison Barnes is – I would take Harrison Barnes 10 times uh, out of 10 times over Karis LeVert. And, and then that, – That's a deal where I give up a first-round pick. I would give up all three picks this year. Harrison Barnes. Um, obviously, I don't think the Kings even do that because I think they could get two firsts for him from a content. Well, I, and, and honestly, the part of the problem is they already have a lot of picks. I think. Yeah. And uh, you know how many picks can you use in one year? But yeah, uh, but he's I, a guy that shoots extremely well. I think his uh, true shooting this year is like sixty-three percent, which is ridiculous. 
um, which helps a ton. He's a solid defender or has been when motivated. Uh, you saw it last night. The guy, when he puts his mind to it, can just get buckets. He just is kind of ignored often on that team. Um, yeah, uh, keep taking me through uh, Harrison Barnes and why you like him. Sorry, I keep. I like I him too. So yeah, I mean he's he's kind of unique because he's like six eight, I believe. So he he would probably play the three over Laurie Markinen um, if Markinen was not in the deal. Um, but I would I would definitely consider doing that. He shoots really well. He's a pretty. He's probably plus defender. He's definitely above average and. But he's the prototypical three and D guy, and I actually think his playmaking is kind of underrated. He, um, and yeah, like like you said, looking up stats while talking about people. But I think he has a surprisingly better assist rate uh, for, especially in the last couple seasons. And um, for a guy who's shooting so well, I think he would be a perfect fit for the Cavs right now and what they do. What about you, Chris Francis? Yeah, I I think that, well, going back to Karis Levert, I think Levert actually fits better than, uh, than Harrison Barnes, even though Harrison Barnes probably, by all accounts, would be considered the better player. I actually think Levert's skill set is the one that's actually necessary if we're looking at the Cavs and what they need right now. Um, I think with Levert, the cost is prohibitive. You know, you mentioned the first round pick. I, I would agree with that. I don't, I wouldn't be hesitant to uh, let go of that pick as it stands right now, because I think right now without Rubio, that pick can be a lottery pick. You know, it's an outside shot, but I think there's a mathematical chance that it could be a, a, a really nice pick. So um, I'm out on Karis LeVert. Also, the age, like 27, there's nothing to figure out about his game. He is what he is. He's a chucker. He can pass a little bit. I'll give him credit for that. Um, He can make some mid-range shots. Um, So that would be useful in the playoffs. But outside of that, he's just not efficient enough for me and doesn't play defense. And also, going back to my dog pill, I got to go back to my dog pill. I'm sorry, I'm not giving him the dog pill. I don't think he's a dog. Uh, you know, I think he's a great guy, you know, overcoming what he's overcome to play in the league and everything. But, uh, what, you know, the way he plays his game on the court, you know, I just don't see it. You know, I, I, he doesn't move the needle for me either. You know, um, the, I think the thing that the Cavs need is they need ISO scorers. That's what they actually need. I think they have good passers. I think, Mobley's a good passer. I think Jared's improved. Jared's improved as a passer. We haven't really seen Markinen's passing, but I think he's probably. I I would say he's probably functional. Um, I and also I don't think that's his really his best role anyway. I think Osman's a competent passer, even though he's been doing less of it. You know, Garland obviously is a great passer. Uh, loves a good passer. So I think what they need and what they're missing is guys who can create their own shot and attack the rim. Um, that's what they're missing with Rubio. If you go and look at Rubio's stats, he uh, the percentage of assisted field goals, two point um, two point field goals for him is a tw- it's only twenty five percent. You know he creates his own, he created more of his own shots than even Garland does in two point range. So 
that's what's really missing is a guy who can create his own shot. Uh, Colin Sexton was another guy on the team who was, you know, they were relying upon to create his own shot uh, at the basket and in the paint, you know, and he's been out for the year. So what they really need is a guy who can attack the paint and get his shot off. Um, I think Karis LeVert fits that. I don't like the cost. The guy who I like on the list of names uh, that Fedor listed is uh, Dennis Schroeder. That's the guy who fits the bill. Uh, Yeah. I mean, but that's, that's, you know, he can create his own shot. You know, he's the, he's the guy who can get into the paint and also he costs 5 million bucks. And so I think just when Rubio went down, everything else, these moves about Harrison Barnes, Karis LeVert, they just reek of desperation, trying to save something that can't be saved really. And so I think I'm now pivoting, in my opinion, the team should be pivoting to development and just trying to get these guys into the play-in, you know, is is the goal right now. I think that's how big of a loss Rubio has been. I think it's totally – I think he's just criminally underrated about what he does for a team. And so I think it, it, this team has gone from a playoff team, a surefire playoff team, to a maybe playoff team and probably more likely a play-in team. So I think they've gone down a level with the loss of Rubio. And I just don't think Karis LeVert or Harrison Barnes are guys that are going to put them back into that conversation among the East's best. So, uh, you know, to me, it's, you know, like, like uh, Eli alluded to, you could have uh, Dennis Schroeder for $5 billion. I think you could, you know, you could manufacture spare parts with that, you know, at the bottom of the roster and not give up anything. So that's where I'm at. And let, let's, let, let's let these young guys cook and see what they could do. Um, and also, I think the thing about Rubio is I want to bring him back. Um, I think and I think it will be cost-effective to bring him back. I think I'm fully vibes-pilled. I'm not about maximizing – you know, assets and being a wonk, you know, about basketball. I'm about building a team, building vibes, building good vibes, making sure guys are bought in as a team. And so I think Rubio is crucial to that. And just trying to treat him as an asset on a spreadsheet isn't how NBA teams work. You know, that's, that, that's where I, that's well, what I'm thinking. That is how team. NBA teams work, but. That's true. You, you're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but is it, is it the way they should work? You know, that's an open question. Yeah, I mean, I'll give you that. And, you know, kind of before I give you a rebuttal here, um, we're going to go to our next commercial break and uh, be back on the other half of the hour here. So uh, real quick, uh, be right back. So welcome back as a podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with uh, Chris Francis and Eli Kim. And we are just going over uh, yay or nay on trading Ricky Rubio's contract. And I think – there's not a lot of people that are opposed to bringing Ricky Rubio back to the Cavs because they saw how much he brought to the Cavs. Um, and the real question is, is whether the odds of bringing, bringing Ricky Rubio back next year go down if the Cavs don't have his bird rights and don't have, um, you know, the ability to re-sign him. Um, and, and that's, that's, if they have to just use their full mid-level to re-sign Ricky Rubio, um, are they just another team vying for his services? Um, or would they be willing to go over that mid-level to bring Ricky back next year is the real question. And to me, it really depends on who's available and what else they would have to give up. 
Um, Eli, do you get a sense of that the Cavs would have a chance to re-sign rookie or rookie Ricky if uh, they traded him and then tried to bring him back on their full mid-level? I think they would have a chance. I think the the problem is he probably won't play that much next year. Um, you know, he got hurt around the half. You know, we're at the halfway mark, so he realistically, you know, if he rehabbed really well, maybe he'd be ready close to the beginning of next year. But I, I, think, I think he'd probably be ready around December. Yeah, um, I think the Cavs could get him back for the mid-level exception, except they probably would have to guarantee at least two years of that um, contract, whereas I think other bigger market or contending teams would only have to guarantee one year or even pay, maybe even pay him less. So I think the Cavs do have a chance to bring him back regardless of if they trade his contract or not. And as long And just, I think, a reminder – because I've done some research on this, if the if Rubio does not get bought out from whoever the Cavs trade him to, or he gets traded again and then bought out, the Cavs are able to bring him back. Um, so the Zajernus rule does not apply as long as the team that he's traded to. Um, well, but I don't. I mean, they can still sign him in the summer. The thing is, if he's hurt, nobody's going to buy him out. Like Ricky's not going to take. Anything yeah, less than a hundred percent on the dollar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the the other issue with that is, you know, I think Chris's point is, you know, you you lower the chances of bringing him back if he's not a part of the team and you're not in communication with him day to day, and you know you, he's not under contract with the team. So I appreciate where Chris is coming from. To me, it's really about the players that are coming in. Uh, to me, a guy like Karis Vert doesn't move the needle for me, but there are other guys out there who do. And um, any other names in that list, uh, Chris, that do intrigue you, that you would consider a Ricky Rubio for? Um, I mean... So what are the other names, first The off? other names are, okay, we've covered Levert and Schroeder, uh, Ingles, Dragic, Anderson, Ben Simmons are the four other names. Yeah, I mean, I like Joe Ingles a lot, but you got to wonder how much he has left. Um, and I like Anderson, too, and he's actually a guy that can play the three but also handle a little. But I'm kind of with Fedor. I don't think they move him. Um, even though they have a lot of guys on that team. Um, I they, actually disagree with Fedor on that. I think they are actually probably more willing to move them now than they were when the Caps were more interested in, in the offseason. That's possibly true because they have a lot of depth. Yes, exactly. And it's kind of emerged. Uh, Zaire Williams has kind yeah. of emerged for them. And I think they've got to be thinking they want to give him more minutes and Anderson less, although he's starting tonight. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing about Memphis. They have so many good guys. You kind of like who is gettable and what would they want? And, you know, they have a really good core for a pretty long time, it's when- looking like. One thing I will say about Anderson is that it, he's actually on a contract that could be very gettable for the Cavs. You wouldn't actually have to give up. You you could theoretically package 
um, Wade Windler, Stevens, and Pangos and get him, I think. If, well, if I recall cor- correctly, like you could package. Where did you read that? Uh, I ran it through the trade machine. So, well, see, that's the thing I haven't gotten a clear answer on. Is I, I've kind of gone back and forth with a couple people on Twitter. I was, I have not gotten a clear answer whether you can trade above another team's roster limit if they're just cutting the guys that are coming in. Um, Ooh, and that would good, be that's the, a great that point. would be the yeah. case. So yeah. I don't know the answer to that question because I thought it was one way and haven't ever gotten a clear answer the other way. I think, uh, based on what happened with uh, Valentine, the team that receives him, even if you're going to waive that player, you have to create the roster spot first. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the I, Knicks had to wave that's somebody. That's a great catchy lie. Yep. The Knicks yeah. had to wave somebody to take Valentine, but then they waved him ASAP. Okay. To create the yeah to create the open roster spot. Correct. Yeah. 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 And then the other, I mean, there's another guy on that team. Uh, that the Cavs were rumored to be interested in, and that's Dylan Brooks. Like, is Dylan Brooks a guy that you would think, hey, that guy could fit right into the two-guard spot, or is just that not a realistic possibility for the Cavs? I, He's I only played more. Yeah, I 20 think games. More than, yeah, than Anderson does. Yeah, and he's only played 20 games for them, and I don't know when they expect him back either. Right, right, exactly. He and he just got injured again. Yeah. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's expected to miss another three to five weeks, which really puts him right up against the trade deadline. So. Yep. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, yeah, and I think that's the rest of those names on that list. The other name that you know you and I were tweeting back and forth today, Eli was Eric Gordon, which I don't. I'm not opposed to it, but I, I think you had noted that the Cavs would be nuts to give up a first-round pick for Eric Gordon. <laughs> Am I yeah. correct when I uh, summarize your uh, your opinion of that idea? That is correct. You have summarized <laughs> it uh, perfectly. I do think the Cavs would be nuts to give up a first-round pick because Eric Gordon is supposed to make like $18 million after the season. And they would be basically taking on almost $20 million of payroll and giving up a first round pick, which I don't think it really happens um, in today's NBA. So I think that suggestion was just nuts. Like I said, ludicrous. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I think you should Eli get, get their asses. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that you're the most you could get would be two second rounders and I wouldn't even give a Houston back their own second rounder, which is going to be at the beginning of the second round. Um, and, and to I, he's not a bad player. He's a guy that plays a little bit of defense. Uh, it's hard to tell on that team. Um, a guy who shoots well and can, you know, be a secondary playmaker. He makes sense for the Cavs this year, but do you really want to screw with the Cavs cap flexibility next year? I don't know if that's the case, you know, uh, that, that's a tough pill for me to swallow with with Eric Gordon. I mean, I've, I've heard him universally talked about as a buyout candidate, not a trade candidate, you know, just, it seems like that's the direct, that's where, that's what all the contenders are waiting for is to see how that plays out. It seems. I don't think they're buying him out because 
you know, because I don't think Eric Gordon's going to give back enough money uh, right. to make a I buyout agree. worthwhile for them because he's owed a whole eighteen million next year. Yep. Like, yep. I I don't even understand that. That's why I think the Cavs. I mean, honestly, there's a you could make the case that the Warriors should give the Cavs a pick for taking him <laughs> for taking that contract. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree. So. So and they've got a boatload of them that all came in like the you know the Westbrook trade and one of the other trades they made. Um, they they love they love stacking up big contracts that don't play. Yeah, apparently. yeah, exactly. Well, that's part of what they do though is they rent their cap space to you right. know take on bad contracts. But they they gave Eric Gordon that contract. So Ooh. yeah. Ooh. Yeah, and that was one of those, as soon as they signed it, is like, yeah, they're going to be trying to move that in a few years. So, um, What are some other names that are on your list? I think you guys probably know mine, and that's uh, – we'll get into that in a minute, but I don't want to monopolize the conversation more than I already do. So, uh, Eli, you got any other names on your list? Yeah, I'm actually – one name that – maybe this is just an Ohio thing, but CJ McCollum is the name. Oh, hells yeah. That was a name I was going to bring up. Just and he is healthy from his punctured lung. By the way, I was reading today. Yep, he is basketball ready, but he is a family man, and he's going to not play until his wife gives birth to their second child. So, um, I think the interesting part of Portland's situation is that Dame Lillard is not expected to go on the six-game road trip that the Blazers are about to take. So, and and the well, dreaded the- word surgery has. Uh, been yeah. in whispers on Portland fan boards. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, that's what I was just going to say. There's there's rumors of him being shut down. So it'll be really interesting to see if uh, there's any Dame Lillard to Philly rumors that start ramping back up. Because I bet if he goes to Philly, that surgery will not be necessary. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've heard, I've heard that abdominal injury is 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 kind of tough, and you know they're they're kind of evaluating surgery. So who knows? But if they blow up that team, I would absolutely love to see CJ in a Cavs uniform. I actually think he's absolutely what the Cavs need. You know, uh, I'm I'm stealing your thunder here, so I apologize. But I live closer to Plain Township. So I feel like that's allowed because his high school is literally f- ten minutes from here. So <laughs> I don't tell me why you like CJ Eli. I don't want to steal your thunder. Oh, I mean, he's a little undersized for what I like as a two guard, but he's extremely smart, makes great plays. He can be the point guard for a team when required to, and. You know, all those efficiency on the Blazers goes down when Dame is not playing and he becomes a de facto point guard. His assist numbers would go way up. So he has the skill set and ability to be a good playmaker. And I think he's a dog. I mean, I know that's something Chris has been saying, but I think he plays hard and he has some dog in him despite being only six foot three um, and always getting, you know, having to take on bigger defensive assignments because of Willard and his size in the backcourt. So, yeah. And I'm with you in that, you know, the whole ISO score thing that you guys were talking about. Yeah. He's a guy that can absolutely do that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the, I mean, 
that's where I'm now I'm okay. Now you guys are getting me in. Now you guys are getting me in because I like, think CJ McCollum is a type of guy that you say, okay, that changes things. That that can that can make noise in the playoffs. You know what I mean? I think that's that's uh, the ideal outcome if we're trading, uh, you know, first round picks or whatever, you know, and trying to bring a guy in, especially a guard, is uh, the name I'll throw out there uh, is the, the the pipe dream for me is Bradley Beal um, in the same vein as CJ McCollum because he's a he's an expiring twenty. That's that's never happening. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, it's not happening, but, you know, he's friends with Darius Garland, you know, you never know, you know, so maybe Darius Garland could put in a word. You should do it, DG. I I mean, that team's still in the playoff hunt. I don't think Bradley Beal is going anywhere until, you know, either Bradley Beal, somebody talks him out of playing away. He loves being the man in Washington, that he loves that gig. Um, And until... That is no longer true. I don't think Bradley Beal's going anywhere. I think they'll they will contend, will extend him till Kingdom Come, um, and, and you know that's just my take on that situation. Um, but yeah, I love. Uh, what would you give up for uh, CJ McCollum? I'd do Rubio, maybe Sexton's contract and a first or two first rounders. I mean, I think he's worth that much. Yeah, I would. Um, interesting. I would actually. I was thinking Rubio's contract, Sexton, and a Coro, and just one first rounder. Um, I, I don't want to see Coro go. I think he makes too much sense on this team. But the other question is, where does he play? Like, is he a bench three four then? Yeah, that's the that's the problem with trading for a guy like Levert or. Um, you know, anyone in that two guard spot, because then you're not going to be playing, you're not going to be starting a Coro, right? But it's just kind of a shame because I want to see a Coro play now and see if he could eventually grow into that long term uh, backcourt mate for Garland, but we just haven't had the opportunity this season to see it. Yeah, and that's a little bit why I like CJ McCollum because he's a little bit older and kind of, I feel like as CJ ages, Okoro's kind of going to ascend and then maybe CJ can come off the bench or, you know, I, I feel like the timeline fits there a little better. What were you saying, Chris? Well, no, I was wondering, what I was wondering about was how long was CJ um, signed for it? It says here that he signed through the 23-24 season. So yeah, I believe he did an extension. Yes. Three years, hundred million. So when did he do that extension though? He did that extension in uh, – when did he sign that? Because if he signed it last summer, he may not be trade eligible. Or this last summer, he may not That's be trade eligible. Point. That's a great point. It looks like – well, I mean, it's in effect now. Like he's, he's, okay. collecting, we, on that, he's collecting on that extension this year. Oh, we, be, we better look. So yeah, Oh, yeah. He's on, if he's collecting on the extension this year, he can be traded. Yes. He must have traded so, it the year before. Yeah. So what I was leading with that was that then then I would be willing to give up two first round picks and a name that I a name I might throw out there to package would be besides Rubio maybe would be uh, Chetty uh, I don't know if that those two combined salaries gets you um, CJ um, but I, I think uh, you might have to see Chetty go to a third team okay. uh, because uh, well I mean I think the salaries would get you there the problem is. 
I don't think Chetty makes sense for Portland, but he would make sense for a lot of teams. So right. I, I don't think he, if the Cavs were trying to move Chetty the way he's playing right now, he would be a hard guy to move. You know, I think they would. I think they would probably rather keep a Coro and Sexton over Chetty if push if it came to came down to getting CJ McCollum. Yeah, point. but I'd much rather move Sexton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, we're going to take one final break and go through my, and any other ones that you guys have, my uh, my dream scenario. Well, not a dream, but an idea I've had that I'm getting roundly uh, criticized for, which is as per norm. So we will be right back. Okay, so welcome back to Cavs of Podcast. Um, you know, we were just talking about how fun it is that the Cavs actually have the chance to be buyers this year rather than, you know, getting in asset collection mode and spinning off different pieces for future assets. Um, you know, and and even they could also be sellers a little bit because I, I do feel like the um, the oh, sorry, I'm blanking. The Rubio contract does have some value as an expiring contract because there's a lot of teams that would love to cut some payroll um, and. and you know, have the ability to sign some free agents this off season. So, uh, and with that, I'm going to pitch the guy that I really would love to see in a Cavs uniform. Um, his name is Derek white. Uh, he plays combo guard for the Spurs. Uh, he averages, uh, about 14 and a half, five and a half assists. And, a ridiculous 1.8 turnovers, which is almost a four to one assist to turnover ratio, which is just patently insanely efficient. Um, he is 30th in the NBA in expe- expected plus minus up there with the likes of, you know, Draymond Green and a lot of other really good players uh, shoots 87% from the free throw line. The problem is that he shoots 30% from three, um, you know, career 34% free throw shooter, but uh, definitely down this year, volume three point shooter, averaging six shots a game, uh, scores 17, sorry, uh, four rebounds. Uh, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong set. <laughs> Hot stats looking up action. Um <laughs> Sorry, he uh, 14 and a half points, 5.5 assists, 3.5 rebounds, a block and a steal a game in just over 30, 30 and a half minutes a night. The guy, to me, is exactly what the Cavs need. A defense first combo guard who can play either position, uh, much like Rubio, even though he doesn't shoot as well as you'd like, he's not afraid to shoot. Uh, he is on a ridiculously efficient four-year deal for about $18 million per. Um, all the advanced stats absolutely love him. Um, the question is, why would the Spurs ever trade this guy? Well, the Spurs need to build for the future, and by the time they're good again, he probably won't be on that team. And do they want these long-term contracts? That's the question. The Spurs are built a bit differently. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know, uh, but I love the idea of moving the Rubio contract 
and Colin Sexton, who I actually think would be a fantastic fit next to DeJounte Murray. Um, it would be a great trade for both teams for the future. Maybe throw in a first rounder or another one and also back, um, you know, Dougie McBuckets uh, to go along with those two guys, uh, I think would be a trade that would make a ton of sense. Um, so, Eli, you don't like Derek White as much as I do, I think was the discussion we had earlier today. Yeah, I mean, I actually do think he's a, he is a theoretical good buy low player. He had, you know, obviously this year he's not shooting very well, so his numbers don't look great um, on the raw side, but he is definitely a player I'd be interested in. I like your trade idea of going for Dougie McBuckets. Um, I thought the, the Cavs were, you know, rumored to be extremely interested in him in the offseason, but could only offer the full mid-level, and he ended up signing for, I think, $42 million over three years, I believe. So um, that'd be – I would actually like that deal a lot. I think my question to you would be, though, would Derek White start next to Garland, or would he be kind of the sixth man for this cast team if you're not including Okoro in the deal? So Okoro, would Okoro then start at the two? Would Derek um, White be that big third guard – in the Rubio role. I, I think you would have to start him um, just because he's been a starter and then, you know, bring a or Markinen off the bench. Um, I, although I think you could probably talk him into coming off the bench and saying, Hey, we want you to have this Ricky Rubio role. You're going to get starters minutes. Um, and you're going to be a closer. I think that's the other thing that you sell him on. Um, that, that, that might be a hard sell. The other side of that is, you know, in that situation, I'd still like to bring back Ricky Rubio next year. I think Rubio, Okoro, White, and Garland is an awesome four-guard combination, and especially because Okoro can probably play some three and you can get him out to about 28 minutes a night there. Um, and I think all three of those guys can play together. Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think you'd probably end up starting them just – because it's easier because of who Okoro is to bring him off the bench. But uh, I think he makes a ton of sense. I think he has, just given his analytic stats, he has a near all-star level impact. He's not an all-star, doesn't score well enough, doesn't shoot well enough, but he is a star in his role for that team. And when your role is a combo guard uh, who can play a lot of point guard, I think it's super helpful. I love that he doesn't turn the ball over and plays really good defense. So I, my question is, is why would the Spurs move him on a, you know, what's kind of a bargain contract given his, um, uh, you know, productivity. That's, that's where I'm a little, you know, all over the place. Chris, what do you think of this? Yeah. I mean, I no, I think you've said all that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. He's a guy, I think, if we're talking about the you know Karis Lavert, if we're talking about Ingles and these type these type of guys, Derek White is definitely I would take him above all these other names that I've heard for sure. Um, one of the things that stands out about uh, White's statistical profile, he creates his own shot. You know, so he's a guy who can get his own bucket, and that's exactly what Rubio's role was uh, on top of the playmaking was uh, taking the shots that were there, and that's something that Derek White clearly does. He can and he can handle it. Um, 
the question is what, what, why would the, why would the Spurs do it? I think that's the thing is we're talking probably, I think you'd probably have to trade two first round picks to get Derek White. I think Um, that's, that, that would be the motivation for the Spurs to do it um, is two shots uh, to, to uh, in the, in the draft to be able to try and hit a home run. Um, They've got, a guy they want to develop in Josh Primo. Um, I think they're really high on him. I think they want to open up on ball opportunities for him in the future. Um, Derek White is a guy who could probably fit it with them. But like you said, he's a guy, he's 27 years old. Maybe he wants to win now. Maybe he's ready and wants to be a part of a, you know, a, a playoff team and have a role on a playoff team. So maybe there's motivation from him on that side. Um, and like you said, they're probably not good until the end of his contract. So um, I think I think a package could be created to get him. The question is, are the Cavs willing to spend that much? Because I think it would take two picks. Um, from Yeah, or, or two picks in a, or a pick in a young player. I mean, I yeah. feel like that Houston second rounder has a lot of value. So that, you know, the Cavs first rounder and the Houston second rounder. And then, you know, if you consider... Um, sex and a first round talent that, you know, right. that really to me is, is like two and a half first rounders right there. You know, it's a right. really high level second pick and two first round qual a first round quality player and another first round pick. Yeah, and you're taking a McBucket's contract off their hands that they probably are regretting at this point. Cause he's not doing a ton for them. Yeah. So, there you go. so there's, it's a possibility. I think it would be foolish for them not to consider it considering, yeah. you know, I'm hearing Levert's name. So, you know, why not Derek White? Yeah. And then the other name I want to throw out, and that's the guy I would actually like say, hey, Ricky Rubio and some first round picks is worth that. Especially if you can get a guy that can give you first round impact. Uh, if you can keep playing like he is. The other guy I want to throw out there is a guy uh, Gary Harris from Orlando, I think, is almost a lock to be moved as well as he's playing. And given his pedigree on winning teams and the fact that he's in the last year of his deal and that he plays for the Orlando Magic. Um, the problem with Gary Harris is he's not much of a ball handler. He's a two guard who's a mainly a three and D guy. Um, what what do you think of that move, Eli? Yeah, I'm not. Um, I like Gary Harris as a player, but... I'm not sure I like the fit, and I also don't. I think the Cavs really need a guy who can make plays for others. That's what they need more than shooting, I think, in my opinion. So I like the fit. If it's, uh, you know, let's say the Cavs explore every other avenue with this Rubio contract, but they can't find a way doing a straight-up swap just to, and maybe throwing in the San Antonio second-round pick just to kind of bolster the rest of the season, I, I mean, that would be an okay move. It doesn't move the needle, but it kind of keeps the team stable. You get a body that you can turn, put in the rotation. So, And he does it. have a little bit of playmaking ability, but, yeah, it's not <laughs> – he's definitely not on the level of these other guys. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, and, the, you know, he is also one of those players who is sneakily smaller, I think, than his, like, listed – measurables his whole career so that's just the other thing that kind of concerns me a little bit his defense i think is a little bit more uh reputational than actual um 
So those are just a couple of cons. But like I said, if it's a deal at the, you know, at the deadline where, Hey, you know what? We got to try to use this salary slot for someone who's who'll play for us. You know, I wouldn't hate the deal. I think it'd be a solid deal. Yeah. I, I, but I, I'm a hundred percent with you. I'm not sure he solves a need like in, is he better than, you know, Lamar Stevens is playing right now? I'm not sure that's true. You know, um, Lamar Stevens as a starter has been really solid. So I know. What about you, Mr. Francis? No, I mean, I, I go back to what you just said about his game. I think you kind of talked yourself out of him <laughs> before you. I like him a lot, but I've yeah, seen, yeah. you know, I was going back and forth with Zavik the other day about him. Yeah. And the fit to is me, awesome. that's the yeah. problem. Yeah, I, I think he's a good fit. It's just he doesn't fill a need. No, no, no. I mean, that's probably fair. I probably, I probably misspoke there. Uh, he doesn't create his own shot. You know, he's dependent upon others to create the shot for him, and and that's the biggest knock I have on him. Um, is I mean, he could fulfill the Okoro role. You know, obviously, uh, Okoro is kind of. I bet his profile shooting is probably similar to Harris's. Um, but you know, like, as you both alluded to, um, um, you know, Lavert, White, Schroeder, these are the guys that are really going to fill the need that the Cavs have. Yeah. And, and there may be, a, and there may be other guys out there. I mean, for me, sure, it's McCollum sure. and White are the two guys I would yeah, yeah, really consider, you know, trading a lot of future assets for. Absolutely. But yep. I don't know if that's realistic and I don't know if that's where the Cavs are right now. So, yeah. Anyway, um, anything else you guys want to add to this uh, trade marathon? <laughs> well, I think you just kind of piggybacking off of what you just said. I think where the Cavs are at is, you know, that's the big unknown here is are they, you know, they just signed JB to a, a huge extension. They just signed Kobe to a huge extension today. I think you know, offering that stability to the coach and, you know, front office, the head of the front office, I think that offers the Cavs as an organization to be patient about any move that they're making, make some long, have a long-term vision for the team in the future and not make panic moves because you're under the gun to perform, you know, for that contract. You know what I mean? So now that, you know, JB and Kobe have these contracts in hand, I feel like, Hopefully that relieves the pressure off of them and they could take a sober headed, you know, long term view of this thing and not make any panic moves. I mean, uh, you know, as fun as the Cavs have been and, you know, as as well as they played, you know, they've played like an elite team this season, which is insane to think about, you know, uh, at least from a statistical perspective. Um, I don't know if they were actually contenders, you know what I mean? They, you know, I would have said maybe with Rubio, but without Rubio, it's, you know, you know, well, and and I think there's truth to the argument with the minutes they were giving Rubio and how thin they were at guard. Yeah. At some point, this was a little bit bound to happen. Unten- yeah, it was un- it know. was untenable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, it was I, not I, a sustainable thing, and it finally bit him in the butt. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you know, we were going eight for the majority of the year, and it's still disappointing that Wade and Windler seem to get forgotten about or put in bad positions sometimes, you know, with respect to getting subbed in. You know, that was the thing that irked me about the Kings game last night is – 
you know, uh, Windler getting decent. It, Windler was looking decent in the first half, not enough run. Uh, Wade gets put in a difficult position, like well deep into the third quarter, you know, for his first appearance. I just feel like the, that's not smart coaching. You know, you're not giving a guys a chance to be successful if you're icing him for, you know, 30 minutes of the game before you put him in. So, uh, you know, it's just a, you know, I think they did what they could and, you know, the Rubio thing changes things and, and with the stability, the newfound stability with the contracts, I feel like they can kind of be patient and really be prudent, you know, how they step forward. And and I'll say the other, the long-term ceiling of this team, there's no greater factor than how good can Evan Mobley be? You know, and by all accounts, we haven't even figured out what that ceiling is, and it's going to be very high. But yep. that matters probably more than any move they could make this year. Amen. So that, that that's Amen. part of it. So, yep. totally. Eli, any, anything to add to our trade marathon here? Yeah, I think one name that we haven't brought up at all that I would consider um, is uh, Buddy Heald. Um, it's Buddy Buckets. Yeah, so it's a little different because my mentality for him would be he would be a lighthouse shooter. His defense, let's be honest, not the not the greatest, but um, it, he'd be a contrast um, to who the Cavs play at the two right now, and it'd just be a different flavor, right? Because the Cavs have been playing super defensive-minded guys at the two-guard spot since Call has been out. It's either a Coro who can't shoot or a Lamar Stevens who can't shoot. So I think though shooting be, has been better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But uh, Heald would bring an interesting mindset where he would be pretty much essentially lights out. And like everyone else who's benefiting from this unorthodox lineup, maybe his defense won't look as bad when you have Jared Allen and Evan Mobley you know, behind you when you get beat on the perimeter. So yeah. And, and you have a defensive culture too, is, is a lot of it. So it's just the thought as, you know, when no, you it's not a team, bad idea. You have, would you so give up a first for him? What would you give up for him? Um, I think it just have to be like the Rubio contract, a second round pick and Dylan Windler. I mean, that's, about I, I don't think you're getting, you ain't getting buddy healed for less than a first rounder. And that's that's where you have to walk away then. <laughs> I, and I think there's a team. I think there are teams out there that will give them because elite shooting is so hard to come by. You know, yeah. dependable elite shooting. So I think this is interesting because it it's funny because Heald has been talked about like supposedly uh, with. Heald has been talked about as a piece in a Ben Simmons deal between the Kings and the Sixers, but um, Buddy Heald was the sticking point, actually, is that apparently there was a possible deal in place to get Halliburton. Uh, Halliburton was offered to the Sixers for Simmons. Uh, The Kings want to include Heald to get off his contract, and Maury balked at that, and he actually wants Harrison Barnes. And so that's why the, that's why the story got leaked is there was a standoff between uh, trying to pawn off Heald versus trading uh, Barnes. So it's interesting. Just I bring it up to say, you know, if they don't want, uh, it sounds like the Kings want to get off Heald's contract. 
back. So can they be suckered, you know, to, to second round pick? I, uh, I don't know. Or or maybe the Cavs slide into a Jared Allen like situation, you know? Okay. Okay. I dare to be great situation. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Nate. I think we gotta do that. I, that's that's the that's the vibes. That's I'm the about. move. That's, the, that's move. the move. Okay. Eli, you on board with that? I am, but I think it killed two birds with uh, killed two birds with one stone. How about you trade for both um, Barnes and Heald? I think. Oh, see, I th- I think the Sixers it. want Barnes though. Yeah, is yeah. the issue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I'm saying if he the. Instead of being a third team, why don't you just preempt and go for you take healed as contract as a negative, and you also get Barnes, and you only have to give up, you know, marketing and Rubio in that scenario. I would think. Really, I think numbers are pretty close with uh, marketing and Rubio making about thirty-five ish, and I think those two combined make about forty. So, but or do you go with like a Kevin Love? Yeah, you could do that, but I think they'd want to take bag. They want the Cavs to take Bagley back in that case, then. Yeah, or that Kevin Love goes to a third team, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. another bad contract that comes back to Cleveland. So, Oof. I yeah, it gets complicated real quick, doesn't it? It does. It does. So we're gonna leave it at that, um, guys. I got something to pitch, so give me your pitches, your your five second pitches, because. Uh, we, we are getting long in the tooth. Anything to pitch, Eli? Man, really on the spot. Um, Other yeah, than, you know, pitch. just go check out your six foot three um, Jokic love centers at the <laughs> at the local YMCA. Other than that. Uh, I do have a pitch, actually. It's a Netflix show. It's called uh, Singles Inferno. It's Whoa. a Korean take on bat, like the Bachelor in Paradise, which is where there's oh like, yes, there's like five. Wow. I think it's five girls and four guys, and the only way off this island is if you pair up and leave together as a couple. <laughs> oh my god! The oh. way they work it and make it intriguing is obviously it's an odd number of people, right? So when two people leave, they replace two people, but then they flip the ratio. Of girls to guys, so I think it started. <laughs> I think it started with five girls and four guys, and then whenever when the first couple left, um, then they brought in, you know, they brought in two guys. So then there were five guys and four girls. That's awesome, Eli. Um, you got anything more to add about that? That I will. To- is it is it subtitled? Is there a dub? There are subtitles. I don't know if there's a dub, but it's like eight yeah. episodes. It's the first season's over. Um, Man, Korean TV is blowing up on Netflix. It's taking yeah. over. It yeah, I I, it's, a, it's top ten right now on Netflix for sure. Oh, I have to check it out. I watched uh, the Silent Sea, which had a lot of the same people in it that were in Squid Game, or several people that were in Squid Game, um, which is kind of a it was a really dumb premise. Uh, it was this Korean space station on the moon and there was this water that was alive. It was like live water. And that was the dumb premise, um, was this live water, but it, it was still entertaining. Um, that I don't know. I, I love the way that Korean TV is blowing up. 
And hopefully the podcasts are blown up too. Then, right? <laughs> there we go. That's yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what about you, Chris? Uh, no pitch. I, I, you know, I learned from my mistake a long time ago, earlier in the season, about possibly pitching the story, <laughs> and so I'm not jinxing it this time. So I'm okay. Uh, it, Chris's pitch this week is the Virginia Department of Transportation. <laughs> you <laughs> absolute. Thank you, thank you, Nate. That that touched my heart right there. Buddy. Uh, I yeah, Chris has been in the uh, the Virginia swath of destruction. So that's right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, um, my pitch is also a Netflix show, um, not Korean, but. Um, does feature an Asian actor, John Cho. Uh, and it's uh, the live action Cowboy Bebop, uh, which oh, yeah. I just absolutely loved. And, um, you know, a guy who watched a good bit of Cowboy Bebop back in the day. Um, I just thought the show was super well done. I kind of felt like it was marketed poorly and came out with a lot of noise in December. They actually, uh, uh, canceled it in the first uh, after the first season, but there's talk of some online petitions to bring it back, getting a little bit of a cult following. I thought it was just super well done. The music was fantastic. The action was fantastic. The sets were fantastic. They changed it up just enough from the original show that I thought it worked really well. Um, it was a lot of fun. The music is so great in it, just like in the original anime. Um, so, yeah, check out Live Action Cowboy Bebop. I think you will be pleasantly surprised. Uh, I really enjoyed it. So, Love it. Love it. Yeah, I heard some buzz about it before, but it just seemed like... It, it kind of got lost in the noise yeah. in December. Yeah, yeah, it did. It really did. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, hell yeah, good good one. Yeah, so there you go. And uh, well, when's our next Cavs game? Is it uh, Thursday? No, they play Wednesday. Uh, okay, so the Jazz. Yeah. Okay, the possibly Rudy Ruderless Jazz. You know, Rudy. Oh, uh, you know you were in a. You know you are in a time loop whenever Rudy gets COVID. It's just <laughs> you're getting transported back to 2020 all over again. So we've fallen in a wormhole. <laughs> we have. We are in a time loop. <laughs> okay, and with that, as always, go Cavs. Go Cavs, baby. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions.
Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.